Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that's Easter Sunday. And it is an amazing thought. If it is true, death has been defeated. Let me tell you about a man I knew when I lived in London. He was called Joseph and he was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus. He became ill suddenly and quite unexpectedly and he died very quickly. It was just three months after being diagnosed that I conducted his funeral. In those weeks between diagnosis and his death, it became increasingly difficult and painful for Joseph to speak. So when I visited him, Joseph didn't say much. And maybe that's why I so vividly remember him saying these words to me. He said, Paul, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to be with my Lord. Joseph put his trust in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Joseph knew what a difference Easter Sunday made. And so Joseph knew he would be with Christ forever after death where there would be no more suffering or pain or dying or mourning. That is the wonderful good news of Easter Sunday. The bare fact is, sooner or later, death will catch up with each of us. So there's nothing more important than to have the confidence that Joseph had. A friend of mine was telling a neighbour of his uh, this same Easter confidence. And his neighbour said, well, that's a nice thought. Well, this evening, I want to ask you, is that all it is? A nice thought? Is that what we've been doing tonight? Or is there substance in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it believable? Well, let's look at the evidence. Just three points. The first one is this. Peter and John saw and believed. Listen again to John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. It's clear that none of the disciples were expecting Jesus to rise from the dead. Mary certainly wasn't. She went to the cemetery on that first Easter Sunday morning expecting to find the dead body of Jesus encased in a tomb with a huge boulder in front of the entrance. And so when she arrived there to find the stone rolled away and the body gone, she jumped to what she thought was the only logical conclusion that body snatchers must have robbed the grave. So, verse 2, she ran to Simon Peter and to the other disciples, the one that Jesus loved, It was early in the morning, we read in verse 1, and there was Mary waking up the neighbours as she was banging on Peter and John's doors, as she dragged them out of bed, still in their pyjamas, at some unearthly hour. I don't suppose they were at all amused, especially remembering that they'd already lost an hour in bed because the clocks had gone forward an hour. (laughs) Still, I'm pretty sure that as soon as they came round and heard the news, they woke up pretty quickly. Listen to what Mary said to them in verse 2. She said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running and the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. John got to the tomb first and when he arrived, we read verse 5, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. John then, and then Peter, at the entrance to the tomb. And what did they see? John tells us. Well, let's be sure they didn't see a body. 
Mary was right about that. The body was gone. And that is very important to note. Because down through the years, despite all the evidence, people have tried to explain away the resurrection of Jesus. Some have suggested it was only a spiritual resurrection, not a bodily resurrection at all. That Jesus, was, that Jesus' spirit was raised from the dead. Well, apart from that going against all the evidence here, it's such a foolish argument. You can't see a spiritual resurrection. If only Jesus' spirit was raised, Peter and John would have looked into the tomb, seen the dead body of Jesus and concluded that Jesus was dead. And then they'd have wondered why Mary had gotten them out of bed at such an unearthly hour and gone back to bed to catch up on the hour's sleep they'd already lost. The point is you can't see a spiritual resurrection. Others have explained it away as an emotional resurrection, a psychological event in the lives of the disciples because they wanted to believe that Jesus would be raised from the dead. But we've already seen the disciples weren't expecting the resurrection. Mary wasn't. She'd gone to the tomb to anoint the body and she thought that grave robbers had taken it away. And Peter and John weren't expecting a resurrection. They were fast asleep. Who stays fast asleep if you're expecting somebody to rise from the dead? It wasn't a, phys- a psychological resurrection. The point is clear. The body was gone. So was Mary right? Was, was the body stolen? Well, crucially, John tells us the tomb wasn't empty. Yet you've heard me right. We always talk about the empty tomb on Easter Sunday morning. It isn't actually the case. The tomb wasn't empty. It was almost empty. Here again, verse 6. Peter saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The grave clothes that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had wrapped around Jesus' body were still in the tomb. It was an almost empty tomb. And it was what they saw, those grave clothes, that made all the difference to Peter and to John. Firstly, Peter saw them. And the verb there to see in verse 6 is thereo. It's where we get our word theory from. The point is this. Peter not only saw the strips of linen, he considered carefully what he saw and it told him so much. What he saw told him that Mary must be wrong. The body hadn't been taken away by anyone. The tomb had not fallen foul of body snatchers, nor had the authorities removed the body and put it somewhere for safekeeping. In verse 5 and in verse 7, we read that the linen had been, uh, that had been used to wrap Jesus' body was lying there. And the word lying could just as easily be translated collapsed. The wrappings, the, the burial cloths, were exactly as they had been around Jesus' body, except that they had fallen flat. They hadn't been unwound and thrown into a corner or taken off and folded up. They were still round around, but flat as if the body of Jesus had passed right through them. And then there was the head covering, the cloth, verse 7, folded up by itself and separate from the linen. And the word folded there is twirled. It's in the shape of a turban. It too hadn't been unwrapped. So do you see what Peter saw? And you see what it told him. And you see what John saw that caused him to believe when he, when we read verse 8, Finally, the other disciple, that's John, who'd reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. The verb to see there in verse 8 is a different word again from the one in verse 6. The verb to see in verse 8 means to understand. It's when someone says something to you and say, oh, now I see. That's the word. John saw something that helped him to understand. 
Oh, just imagine if we could ask the angels in heaven to bring John down to us this evening. To have John as a guest speaker here. That would have looked good on the invitations, wouldn't it? Choir, orchestra and the Apostle John from 2,000 years ago. That would have got you here. Well, you came anyway. You didn't need that. Imagine having John as a speaker. Imagine I could interview him. I think it would go something like this. I'd say, John, thanks for coming this, uh, this evening to Christchurch Forward, this special Sunday evening. Tell us more about that first Easter Sunday morning, if you will. And John would reply something like this. It's so good to be with you at Christchurch. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'll never forget what I saw as I looked into Jesus' tomb. Mary had told me that the body was gone. Peter and I grabbed our clothes, changed as quickly as we could and rushed to the tomb. I got there first, but I didn't go in. Then Peter arrived. And as we looked in the tomb, we couldn't believe our eyes. It wasn't just that the body was gone. Mary had already told us that. It was the grave clothes. As I looked at them, it dawned on me. The way they were still wound around, but with no body inside them. As I looked at them, I can remember thinking, now I get it. I understood then that Jesus must have risen, just as he told us he would. I saw that the body couldn't have been taken by body snatchers, or anyone else for that matter, not with the grave clothes as they were. And why would body snatchers do that anyway? They would have kept the burial clothes. The spices were really valuable. Besides, no one could have taken the body and left the grave clothes as they did, intact. The headpiece still twirled around, the strips of linen forming a cocoon. As I looked, it dawned on me. Jesus' body has ridden right through them. And I thought, now I see. I saw and believed. And then I'd say, oh, John, thanks very much indeed. That's very helpful. John saw something that told him all that he needed to believe and Jesus, that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And that, of course, is why the stone had been removed. Not to let Jesus out, for goodness sake, but to let Peter and John in so that they could see the almost empty tomb. Verse 8, John saw and believed. So what about you? Do you see? Do you get it? If Jesus has risen from the dead, well then Jesus is the creator of the universe. He is the Lord in human flesh. He is God indestructible. Mankind tried to kill him on the cross and he broke through death. And that's what we're to believe. That's why there were two witnesses, Peter and John. It's actually why John didn't go in first so that Peter could arrive. He could see before anything had been touched. Because you see, in a Jewish court of law, for evidence to be admissible, it would have to be agreed upon by two witnesses. But I can hear some of you saying, well, it's all very well for Peter and John to believe. They saw. If only I saw, then I'd believe. Well, John goes on to write something that says, don't be fooled. Seeing is not necessarily believing. For secondly, we see this. Mary saw and didn't believe. There's a surprise. See, as we look at dear Mary, John tells us that it's not seeing but understanding that matters. That's been his point so far. It wasn't what Peter and John saw, but that they understood what they saw that mattered. It is very easy, isn't it, to get the wrong end of the stick, to come to the wrong conclusions. I'm always doing that. I wonder if you've ever sent an email to the wrong address. It's easily done. Uh, It can be so misleading when it happens. A few years ago, I heard of a couple from Minneapolis in the USA who decided to go to Florida to celebrate their 20th wedding anniversary and to enjoy some sunshine. Romantically, they booked to stay in the same hotel that they'd gone to for their honeymoon 20 years before. 
The couple were both professionals with hectic lives and they weren't able to completely coordinate their their travel schedules. So the husband travelled down to Florida on the Thursday with his wife flying down the next day. The husband checked into the hotel. Remember, he hadn't been there for 20 years. But because now it had internet access in the room, he decided to send his wife an email. However, he accidentally left one letter in her email address out and without realising sent the email Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, completely far away from where they lived, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. He was a church minister of many years and had died suddenly of a heart attack. Returning from the funeral, the widow decided to check her email, expecting messages of condolences from friends and relatives. But after reading the first message, she collapsed. The widow's son rushed into the room, found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen, which read this, To my loving wife, I've arrived. I know you're surprised to hear from me. (laughs) But they have internet access here now. (laughs) I've just arrived, I've checked in, and I see that everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. (laughs) It is so easy to get the wrong end of the message, the wrong end of the stick. It's so easy to misunderstand what is right before your eyes. So look, it's not what you see, but understanding that matters. That's John's point here as we look at Mary. Mary saw, but she didn't believe because she didn't understand. It's not the seeing, but the understanding. Verse 10, you see, the disciples went back to their homes and we read verse 11. Mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept. She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Then they asked her, woman, why are you crying? See, like Peter and John, Mary had seen the almost empty tomb, but she hadn't understood it like they had. She still thought the body snatchers had taken Jesus away. She saw two angels and still she didn't understand. And then she even saw Jesus and still she didn't get it. She got completely the wrong end of the stick. Looking straight at Jesus in verse 15, she thought he was the gardener. The point is this, you can see and not understand. You could have been there and still not believed because it's not seeing but understanding that leads to believing. And that's why everyone Mary met in these verses asks her questions. In verse 13, the angels asked Mary, why are you crying? At a glance, it seems like such an inappropriate question to ask a grieving woman. What are these angels thinking of? Don't they know that, G- that Mary's beside herself? She's bereaved. Is everyone in heaven so insensitive? Of course, it's not an inappropriate question at all. The angels aren't buffoons. They've been sent to help Mary, to help her grasp the situation. And from heaven's perspective, why was Mary crying? For the angels, this was a day of great rejoicing. Jesus had risen. Death was defeated. This was not a day for crying at all. If only Mary understood. If only she knew that Jesus was risen from the dead, she wouldn't be crying. She'd be ecstatic, over the moon, elated. So it's a great question, isn't it? Why are you crying? 
There's no need to cry. Jesus is risen. But if you don't understand that Jesus is risen, of course you'll be beside yourself. And what was true for Mary 2,000 years ago is true for us today. If you don't understand that Jesus is risen, deep down you'll be uneasy. Unable to make sense of life, certainly unable to face death. I love this book. I think it's one of my, probably my favourite autobiography ever. I haven't read that many, but it's still the favourite one. John McEnroe, serious. I love it because he's so honest. Uh, He's honest about many things, but not least of all about his fear of death. It's a fear that he expresses again and again throughout the book. As a New Yorker, the book begins with his thoughts unfolding on the morning of 9-11 of those terrible events. He writes this, somehow the enormity of this situation hadn't sunk in. Perhaps it had something to do with my years of travelling as a tennis player when I'd been forced to put plane crashes out of my mind just so I could keep flying every week. As a group, tennis players never discuss that kind of thing the way race car drivers don't like to talk about fatal wrecks. Besides, when you're young, you feel invulnerable. I don't feel invulnerable anymore, he writes. McEnroe didn't want to think about death, couldn't think about plane crashes. Later in the book, he speaks of one of the high points in his life. He just burst onto the tennis scene by reaching the Wimbledon semi-finals. He says, I couldn't wait to call Stacy. That was his girlfriend at the time. I couldn't wait to call Stacy. I just experienced the greatest moment of my life and I wanted to share it with her. I phoned and said, Stacy, I got to the semi-finals of Wimbledon. And then she said, my father died a couple of days ago. It put things in perspective in a hurry. Later on in the book, he speaks of being staggered and, and, and numb of hearing of the sudden death of his friend, Vitus Gerolitis, age 40. John McEnroe had everything, success, wealth, love, yet he had no answers to death. Of course he didn't. And as you read this book, it hangs over him. And throughout his life, it keeps raising its ugly head, even ruining the high points of life. Death puts a cloud over everything. It's enough to make you weep. But on Easter Sunday morning, the angels and then Jesus himself asks, why are you crying? Because there's no need to cry anymore. Jesus is risen. Death is defeated. So Mary, why are you crying? The answer's obvious. Mary's crying because she doesn't believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. She still thinks that Jesus' body is somewhere to be found. I wonder where you're at on that. Do you think that if we could go to Jerusalem and find the right tomb and dig deep enough, we'd eventually find the bones of Jesus? The evidence is the body was gone. The only thing left in the tomb were the grave clothes and no one ever produced the body to refute the staggering claim of the apostles that Jesus is risen. The almost empty tomb tells us that. But until you understand it, there'll always be tears because death looms, it hangs over us, waiting to ruin everything. But it doesn't have to be that way. Why are you crying? And then there's a second question for Mary. Jesus asked it in verse 15. Who is it you're looking for Of course, Jesus knew the answer. Again, the question was for Mary's benefit, to get her to think, to get her to understand, to get her to see. Mary was looking for a dead body. Mary was looking for a man, a man who died. She should have been looking for Jesus who is risen. So again, how do you answer the question? Who are you looking for? You've come here this evening and we're thrilled you've come. Thank you so much for coming. 
But what have you come looking for? What kind of Jesus? A good man? A distinguished teacher? An inspirational leader? An example to follow? A remarkable prophet? Who are you looking for? A man who died? Or the authentic Jesus who rose from the dead? Look, if Jesus didn't rise, then he's just a dead man. Don't bother looking for him anymore. But if he's risen, well, then he's so much more. And in him, you can be sure of life beyond the grave. Peter and John saw and believed because they understood. Mary saw and didn't believe because she didn't understand. And so thirdly, very briefly, we don't have to see to believe. Or to put it another way, it's not seeing but understanding that means we can believe. See, here's the good news that we don't have to have been there to believe. Look at verse 9. I'll read from verse 8. Finally, the other disciple who'd reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. The point is this. The reason that verse is written is this. The Scriptures teach us all we need to know in order to believe. Peter and John hadn't understood that the Old Testament Scriptures taught that the Christ would rise from the dead. But if they had understood, they wouldn't have needed to see This evening, we've heard an Old Testament prophecy predicting that the Christ would rise from the dead. We've read New Testament eyewitness accounts. Peter and John saw the almost empty tomb. Mary saw Jesus. And in the verses that follow, the other disciples saw Jesus. Thomas touched Jesus and the disciples ate fish with Jesus. In fact, we're told more than 500 people saw the risen Jesus Christ. We have the scriptures. And John says that's enough to believe. Listen to how John ends his book. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name, everlasting life beyond the grave. The point is this. Here's all the evidence you need. And here's the explanation of the events, which is what we really need. That's why John has written his gospel. And so let me ask you one final question. Have you ever put your mind to these things? Have you ever really thought seriously about them? Have you ever done that as an adult? Look, there could not be a more important question to grapple with. If this is true, then life beyond the grave is available to you and to me. I reckon that's worth everyone investigating. So let me commend to you. This uh, leaflet that was tucked inside your bundle as you came in. It's an invitation. It's your personal invitation to Christianity Explored, which begins here on the 30th of April. It's a seven-week course. You'll see all the dates and all the details. You don't need to sign up for seven weeks. Just come for the first week. If you can't make the first week, come for the second week. That won't be too late. Come and have delicious food, stimulating conversation, good company. Come for one week and see if you like it. And investigate whether this is really possible. Jesus rising from the dead. If you can't wait till then and you want to uh, think about these things before that, then uh, I'm going to be standing at the door with a booklet. They're absolutely free. It tells you more about Easter and, and why we believe Jesus rose from the dead and what Easter was all about. Please just take one from me. Tim, who kicked us off and will round things off, will be on the other door. He'll also have them. Just say, I'd like one and take one from us. Easter day, it tells us Jesus is risen. And here's the thing. 
you and I can share in his risen life and face death with complete confidence of life beyond the grave if we place our hope in the crucified man.